3: Love,
1: talk,
0: radio. With me today,
1: I have a Brookings Institution fellow, John Hudak, who is a voice that we've used quite a bit on this issue. He's very poignant in his thought process about uh, guns. John, thank you so much for joining.
0: Thanks for having me back.
1: So, John, let's talk about New Zealand, I guess, and the Prime Minister and her actions. It's so different from the reaction here. Why is there such a polar opposite reaction with the government in New Zealand versus here,
0: first of all? Well, first off, in New Zealand, you don't have a culture that in some areas is just constructed around guns. And it doesn't, uh, in New Zealand, create that sort of scenario that we have here in the United States, where there's this idea of an entitlement to any type of weapon in any type of circumstance, under any type of circumstances, and I think because of that, it creates this uh, greater shock and this greater call for some kind of solution, and a meaningful call for a solution that we just don't have here. Hmm. So
1: the right to bear arms is not uh, something that um, is is a call to action there like it is here. You know, the Second Amendment here, they don't have that there.
0: Exactly, you know, there's this um, near obsession in the United States, um, at least among some, over uh, this this right and that this idea that the right um, cannot be checked. You know, in this country, we have expectations that the First Amendment, um, right to free speech and peaceful assembly, um, that there are limits on that. We understand that there are limits on a variety of rights that we have, but for some and, and culturally driven by organizations like the NRA that there is this idea that any infringement, any check, any limitation on an unlimited right to bear arms, uh, is this uh, almost uh, intervention with the divine. This is coming between the right that God has granted you uh, and your ability to exercise it. That doesn't exist that way in New Zealand.
1: Well, tell me this. So New, New Zealand is not alone. Um, you have other countries uh, around the world who don't really uh, have this gun issue. Could you talk to us about some of the other countries that, um, you know, they, they, I guess they, because I, I think I was in Switzerland. I know it was in Switzerland. You know, they were talking about when, you know, they have guns, but there's no big uh call to action, as you say, and, and and it's meant, the guns are meant in case basically of some kind of war or unrest. Is that true?
0: You know, the different uh, expectations and different beliefs around guns vary from uh, place to place around the world. There are certainly places that uh, see the ownership of guns as something used primarily for sport. Um, there are certainly areas, both both peaceful places and Uh, war-torn places where um, the understanding of guns is for uh, serious personal protection, whether that's from an invading army, whether it's from civil unrest or what have you. Um, But generally, around the world, uh, guns are rare. Um, They are not expected to be part of uh, common society, and there is an expectation that they are used for Uh, Proper purposes by proper professionals. That isn't the case in the United States, but around the world that tends to be more the case.
1: So in the United States, there was just recently um, a, a, a bill that passed in the House, which people were surprised. Talk to me about that. Um, You know, we haven't seen gun control legislation. What does that do in a long time? I mean, you know, we we continue to talk about gun control, gun control, but there has been some some kind of curb uh, on guns, uh, assault weapons recently. Talk to me about that.
0: The... um Legislation that passed the House HR8 um, was an expansion of background checks for transactions around guns. It tries to close off loopholes over over who is subject to a background check given the nature of the transaction. So it extends those background checks uh, to private transactions, for instance, online transactions, um, sales at gun shows, and and, and that is an important way uh, to close off avenues that individuals might have uh, to accessing guns uh, when they should not be. Now, it's, of course, not to say that H.R. 8 solves the challenges uh, that exist in this country. There are plenty of people who commit crimes, either large-scale shootings or what is... uh, You know, the the type of violence that claims far more lives in the United States, and that's interpersonal violence, especially domestic violence involving a gun. Um, They purchase those in legal ways. But what HRA tries to do is tries to close off avenues tries to stop people from having certain means of access without claiming to solve the entire gun violence problem in uh, the country. And universal background checks are something that are nearly universally supported among the American public.
1: Well, this has been an issue for a very long time because I was hearing uh, these issues as it relates to uh, the gun shows and things of that nature. Um, How big is this loophole issue?
0: You know, the loophole issue is uh, significant. Uh, There are uh, quite a few guns that are purchased at uh, gun shows. Uh, There are a lot of other types of private transactions for firearms. And the problem is not simply who is purchasing the gun, but the purpose for which they are purchasing the gun. Uh, when you're not having background checks, uh, you can allow um, a variety of people who either want to use firearms directly, um, or who want to then peddle firearms illegally uh, to do so. And I think in our society, people who want to commit gun violence are going to find ways to commit gun violence. and uh, Simply having background checks is not a solution, but any way that we can make it harder for individuals who want to commit acts of violence to do so gives police more time to uh, find them It gives family members or friends more time to, uh, you know, call the police and say, I I think I I know someone who's looking to commit an act of violence. Uh, And while we have a gun violence epidemic in the United States, um, I think one of the uh, understated uh, actions that happens here are people preventing gun violence because they are seeing online or they're listening within their family what people are talking about. And when you have people like that, if you have one extra day or two extra days to prevent that, that can be a good thing. Hmm. So
1: as it relates to the gun situation and the legislation that just happened, um, do you expect the Senate to pass it and the president could possibly, if it does, the president could have a second veto, correct?
0: Uh, I I do not think the Senate is going to pass this legislation. Um, anything that uh, has to do with a, uh, the uh, gun control in this country uh, is something that the Republican Party is allergic to. Uh, I don't see Mitch McConnell bringing something up for a vote, particularly. Um, as he enters re-election uh, next year in Kentucky, uh, this is something that is likely dead on arrival in the Senate, even if it could get a majority of support within the Senate.
1: Hmm. Wow. So at the, at the end of the day, where are we um, with this president, the NRA, and the Republicans on the Hill as it relates to gun control?
0: Well, this president Republic, and Republicans on the um, Hill are wholly owned subsidiaries of the NRA. It's as simple as that. What the NRA wants, um, this president and uh, this Republican Senate and other Republicans in Congress will do. Um, The threat that Republicans perceive the NRA playing uh, in Republican Party politics is too overwhelming to allow Republican uh, representatives to respond to the public will.
1: What happened to that debate? You know, after we the Parkland issue, what happened to that, that debate about teachers in the schoolhouse carrying guns? I mean, that is just—you can't police with that. You can't. You, it's just a crazy thing. Where are we with that 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 proposal?
0: That proposal is dead in the water as well. You know, I think. Um We expect a lot out of our teachers. Um, We don't pay our teachers enough. We expect teachers to educate and babysit and discipline and be psychologists and social workers and do a lot of things uh, without having the respect, in some places, even to pay them a living wage. But when we then ask them to be police officers and first responders, um, I think for most that's a bridge too far, and and frankly, um, you know, I think all of us uh, can think back to our days in school and know uh, one or two or a handful of teachers who would be the last people on earth you would want to have a gun in a classroom. Uh, And I think when you have a rigorous uh, training regimen for most other professionals in our society who are charged with carrying a firearm, why you would then extend that um, to the classroom uh, is something that is very difficult for a lot of people to understand.
1: So at the end of the day, 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road, what does the issue of guns, in your opinion, look like versus uh, the rest of the world? And will it get worse before it gets better?
0: In the United States, we we have some evidence that uh, there will be stronger gun control in the future when we simply look at opinions about gun control uh, based on age demographics. Uh, older people are more supportive of, uh, you know, a, an, an essentially unfettered right to bear arms, and younger people are much more vocal about supporting not just universal background checks, but more extensive uh, types of gun control. Now, people can change their mind over time. Uh, and what millennials think now may be different than what millennials think in 20 years. Uh, but I think that the future would suggest uh, that, or I mean, it, it, those numbers would suggest that the future has in store uh, some level of increased gun control.
4: Um,
1: in- increased gun control. It only takes people with a heart for it to make it happen, though. however. That's right. Yeah, and the question is, where is the heart right now? Yep. Um, <laughs> where is the heart? And, I mean, it's this is something that's not just in urban America. It's not just something that's now in uh, rural America. It's not just something that in one community versus another community. It's everywhere. But, you know, before I let you go, um, the face of a gun control, or the gun owner, excuse me, John, before I let you go, the face of the gun owner, is now being publicized in a different way, especially with Parkland and all of these schoolhouse shootings and and all of these uh, mass shootings that we've been reporting on uh, in this nation. They're now putting a face on black people and, and, and younger people who want to go to to um, shoot for sport or shoot for game. Why is that? Why are they putting a different face on than than the guys, the trappers, or whatever, or the people out there in the woods with their guns or just people, these Republicans, who just say they have a right and they're going to use their right?
0: You know, I think uh, the face of a gun owner in America is not something that is uh, unitary, right? There's not one gun owner in America. There are millions of reasonable, safe, well-intentioned gun owners, and they are people who Uh, use those firearms to go out and hunt and keep a firearm perhaps in uh, a drawer for self-defense just in case, Uh, but they're not out there trying to commit acts of violence. Then we have another face of America where people do have firearms because they intend to commit acts of violence or act irresponsibly with them in other ways. You know, there are a lot of gun deaths in this country. Not because someone grabs a gun and wants to go out and kill someone, but because a gun is left on a table and a child shoots himself or or a friend. Because a gun is available in a household and someone who's suffering from depression decides that that is the solution to their problems. Uh, Gun owners in America and, uh, you know... uh, perpetrators of gun violence in America also have very different faces uh, when you look around. And so I think it speaks to the idea that the solution in this country is not to get rid of all the guns. Mm -hmm. Um, But neither is the solution in this country to put our hands in our pockets because the problem is too complex and too diverse.
1: That's true. Well, John Hudog, as always, thank you so much for joining me on the record with April Ryan. It was wonderful to talk about a real serious issue about guns and gun control and just how we have to cope now and in the future with this issue that's um, deadly. Thank you, April. With this week's On the Record, I'm AURN White House correspondent, April Ryan. Don't forget to subscribe to On the Record on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or any other podcast directory. If you like what you hear, leave a five-star review.
2: On the Record, a product of American Urban Radio Networks. Confessions of a Potentially Perfect Parent, brought to you by AdoptUSKids.org. I might look like an adult, like a person who could possibly be a parent, but I have no idea how to talk like one. And everyone knows that if you want to be a parent, you have to sound good when you say things like, don't make me turn this car around, or because I said so, or don't make me come back there. I don't even really know what those things mean, but I know that I actually believed my parents when they said them to me. How did they manage to sound so convincing? Here we go. Don't make me come back there. No, that's not tough enough at all. Kids can sense weakness. Don't make me come back there. Ooh, yeah, that's better. In fact, that kind of sounded like my dad. Weird. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. There are thousands of teens in foster care who would love to listen to you practice your dad voice. Call 1-888-200-4005 or visit AdoptUsKids.org for more information. This message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt Us Kids, and the Ad Council.
3: Para la familia Mendoza empezar el día oyendo esto, es algo habitual. Por suerte, ir al bosque y terminar el día escuchando esto otro, es posible. Ese respiro que tu familia necesita está a menos de 90 minutos. El bosque, más cerca de lo que crees. Entra en descubreelbosque.org y descubre el bosque más cercano. Un mensaje del Servicio Forestal de los Estados Unidos y el Ad Council.
5: Parece que fue ayer, papá. Me acuerdo cómo lloraba. No yo. Sino lo que había dentro de la casa. Mi primer perrito. No dejaba de chillar hasta que lo sacamos de la caja. ¿Recuerdas cómo brincaba y me lamía la cara? Y yo me reía. (ríe) Ay, cómo nos reíamos. Gracias a ti, mi perro y yo nos volvimos grandes amigos. Casi tan buenos amigos como tú y yo, papá.
3: Nunca se sabe cuáles recuerdos son para siempre. Por eso toma el tiempo y hoy sé un buen papá. Para información, marcar 1877 432 3411 o visítanos en www.fatherhood.com. Mensaje del Departamento de Salud y Servicios Humanos de los Estados Unidos y el Ad Council. me almost made you cry, almost made you happy, baby, didn't I, didn't I? You almost had me thinking that you were turned around, but everybody knows almost doesn't count. I almost heard you saying you were finally free. What was always missing for you, baby, you found it in me. But you can't get to heaven. Try to keep one foot on the ground. Everybody knows almost doesn't come. I can't keep on loving you One foot outside the door I hear a funny hesitation Of a heart that's never really been sure I can't keep on trying If you are looking for more Than I can give you Or even what you can Find me somebody Not afraid to let go I want to no doubt Be their kind of girl And you came real close Every time you build me up You only let me down And everybody knows Almost does not count Running back to me baby From that cruel cruel
6: world.
3: You almost convinced me That you're gonna stick around But everybody knows Almost doesn't come. What everybody knows almost doesn't count. matter come would make love would prevail, and then, inside the dreams I knew, came the question Love is fear, can true love
6: fail, then I would miss the child of
3: wish, and haven't I Bye.
6: What good is a diamond nobody can see
5: The evening, my usual co-host Tom uh, Donnelly, as uh, Donald, Donald Donaldson is the uh, is on vacation, and uh, tonight we are uh, going to uh, share our time with a uh, very uh, important guest, uh, Pastor Greg Young. Before we do that, I'm going to revert to the old. Uh, uh, system that we had with the uh, Dr. Larry show and I'm going to uh give a uh, prepared uh presentation of uh on the growing mystery of the Biden administration as to who is the puppet master the final withdrawal of all the american troops from the uh, afghanistan yesterday was the final move in the ghastly ballet featuring a surrender of the President of the United States of America to the victorious Taliban in the Afghan war. More and more Americans are wondering just who is actually directing the policies of this administration. Many observers question the mental capacity of this President to launch so uh, many varied executive orders as he has in the first six and a half months of his term. Personally, I would never reach such a diagnosis about anyone whom I had never even met in person and never examined, never tested, or validated both his medical and physical condition. And even then, I would be bound to confidentiality. These TV-based, off-the-cuff amateur proclamations of Joseph Biden's condition are, in my estimation, spurious, worthless, and harmful. I do not need to impute to Mr. Biden mental or age-related deficiencies in order to arrive at an answer to the questions of who is actually making the decisions of the administration. I don't really care. What I do know is that this president has done more harm to the land that I love in the six months than uh, any president in my lifetime. Consider, first, he has surrendered Afghanistan to the Taliban under conditions that are beyond stupid, careless, or impetuous. They are evil. Secondly, he has virtually killed America's energy industry, putting the USA at the mercy of Russia and OPEC, and reopened the troubles of the Middle East, not only for us, but also for Israel and America's Arab allies, after this impossible peace had actually been achieved. By reversing the resignation from the uh, Paris Accord, he has committed the USA to basically funding the world's absurd attempt to regulate nature's climate cycles. His resumption of Obama's Iran policies has reignited the rise of global terrorism on the Shia side of Islam, And the resurgence of Al Qaeda in Afghanistan will revive the dead, revive from the dead, the Sunni equivalent. Another attempted 9/11 is virtually assured. Finally, so far, perhaps the most insidious of all the conditions at the southern border, with this. Inhumane Living Conditions, Criminal Trafficking, and Expansion of Drugs and Criminals Throughout the United States. Those are just uh, the headlines. Whoever has used the power of elected office to execute these activities clearly hates our country and is attempting to transform it into something more like Nazi Germany or Soviet Russia than the American of our hopes and dreams. This is a multifaceted, multi-layer attack. There are not likely to be so many uh, fanatics in one, in so many areas of expertise, in any single political movement. Political movements tend to be concentrated on a few specific ideas. It is my speculation that there is a cadre of experts behind this movement. As Mark Levin has pointed out, these actions have deep roots in American history, but they are also very contemporary in their immediate moves and strategies. This combination of actions and policies is too comprehensive and too systematic to be act, the acts of an isolated White House. Add the pending explosions of the national debt and the accompanying go- Goliath of a tax release uh, increase, which are pending in Congress, and what we are watching is an assault on the America which has been the most successful civilization in the history of the world by people who hate it and are out to destroy it and what rival civilization does that description best fit in 2021 who has the resources and the motivation to organize the internal self-destruction of the dominant nation in the in the 21st century who has successfully captured the technology that has put america ahead of the rest of the world for the past century who has assisted in the rise of the new generation of billionaires who now owe much of their success to a foreign power, whether it be in the mass production of vastly discounted goods, for example, Amazon or Walmart, high technology, example, Apple or Microsoft, highly trained, low-wage technical personnel, Silicon Valley, helping America's continuous budget deficits, for example, the Federal Reserve and Wall Street, and the list goes on. What is the answer to that question? The answer is China. I wrote a column naming Joe Biden the Manchurian candidate after the 1960s book and uh, movie of that name which detailed a scenario of how the Chinese Communist Party could maneuver a candidate for the United States presidency that was controlled by them and put in a winning position with the American electorate. The occasion of my timing of my connecting that scenario with Mr. Biden occurred when the first bribery disclosures of the Biden's son, His brother and sister-in-law, as well as Biden himself, became public knowledge. What added to the veracity of these disclosures was both the strength of the evidence and the burying of the evidence by the FBI and the press, both of whom were known to be uh, controlled by anti-Trump forces. I have no direct evidence that Biden is acting on orders from CHICOM, to execute these drastic destructive measures which are simultaneously attacking a wide variety of American institutions and beliefs. But I can connect the dots as well as anyone else. It is my hypothesis that the answer to the question of who is ultimately responsible for such a lethal attack on America's international dominance is the Chinese conspiracy. They are not only clever enough to attack from many directions, from riots in the streets, to rigged elections, to taking control of one of the two American political parties, to furthering American Marxism in American education and intellectual platforms, to subversion of major American companies and their owners, to undermining America's moral authority as the broken with its broken promises to overwhelm to the overwhelming our borders with unknown invaders no one political movement can be as effective on so many fronts immediately and simultaneously as the directive force which is tearing down our country today as we watch in horror You're listening to the Resistance Hour on the Bachelor News Radio Network. It is now my pleasure to enter into uh, this conversation, to introduce into this conversation, uh, Pastor Greg Young, who is uh, one of the uh, most important uh, voices in Internet radio as well as uh, as uh, what we now call terrestrial radio, which he means real radio, <laughs> and uh, at least uh, historic radio, and um, and he is also a very close friend. And uh, Pastor Greg, welcome to the Resistance Hour.
2: Well, thank you, Dr. Larry. It's a pleasure to be here and uh, welcome. Uh, I, I say hello to all of your audience that's listening tonight.
5: First, before we get started, uh, would you please tell our, our audience a little bit about what you're doing in your extraordinary ministry?
2: Well, it's my pleasure. Uh, the radio program is called chosen generation radio, no topic off limits, everything filtered through biblical glasses. We talk with the movers and shakers that are in the news and, and in the world today, we have uh foreign policy experts, uh, David Wormser, who is a former advisor to uh, Dick Cheney and and, uh, the Bush administration, but he's also now with Frank Gaffney at the Center for Security Policy. Uh, Also regular on our program is Claire Lopez, who is also uh, a national security expert. Uh, Constitutional experts like David Shistokas. Uh, media experts like uh, Dan Gaynor and Media Research Center and Newsbusters, uh, religious freedom experts like uh, First Liberty Institute, and uh, and experts on Islam like my good friend Al-Asuli, who's been studying uh, the Hadith and the Quran and so forth for many, many years, and George Barna, who's a tremendous bolster and researcher as well. So, Really a wide gamut, Rick Manning from Americans for Limited Government, a wide, wide gamut of folks, and encourage you to uh, give it a listen, and, and they certainly have taught me a great deal over the years.
5: And how can, they, how can our audience find you, uh, Greg?
2: Uh, they can find me at chosengenerationradio.com, chosengenerationradio.com. You can find our presence both on Internet and on terrestrial radio. And we'll be launching uh, actually this coming Sunday in uh, the uh, San Francisco Bay Area market and most of Northern California on KTRB, 860 a.m. The Answer from noon to 1 p.m. every Sunday.
5: And you also, uh, you originate in Texas, right?
2: Originate in Texas, and we're on uh, 20 of the top 100 markets in the top 100 cities across the country
5: well i think you are uh, you are a uh, an example to uh all the rest of us not only uh, because of your uh ministry but also because of your business expertise where every time i hear of the terrestrial uh radio stations i think it's it's in uh, the opposite of uh celestials but i guess that's not really true um so so uh, what's your uh what's your assessment of uh this uh proposition that that uh the Chinese are ultimately uh calling the shots for the destruction of America through the Biden administration.
2: Well, I don't I don't think there's any doubt that there's a, a plenty of evidence out there that the Chinese have significant influence over the Bidens and over the Biden family. And you laid out a very good case for it. Uh, So I, I, I wouldn't argue that China is playing a role in this. I think that Obama is playing a role in this. And I think that his uh, birthday party was really more or less of a cover for them to get together and, uh, and have a bit of a powwow as far as they're plotting their strategy. When you consider how many members of the Obama administration are now pulling the strings in the Biden administration and the direction that he has taken this country in the uh, just barely eight months that he's been there? Uh, there's there's no question in my mind that, that Obama also is playing a significant role with regards to this. Islam's playing a significant role as it relates to this, and they have opened up our border uh, a a report that's not being given much mainstream but in Texas over the weekend in a, in a town called Garland Texas and Dr. Larry you might remember Garland Texas Garland Texas is the place that uh uh that our friend uh, Pam went to and uh, they actually had an Islamic attack during Obama's presidency uh where uh, there was an off duty officer that ended up shooting several jihadis that came to try to break up a art display where they were playing art that was portraying uh, Muhammad and so forth right there in Garland. And just over the weekend, there was a, a shoot-up that took place there. One civilian killed, and then a, a jihadi went into the Garland Police Department and started shooting police officers.
5: Oh yeah. I had not heard about that
2: uh, yeah it
5: So I guess the I guess the big question the big question to me is is not really Biden's personal uh condition because I I have no way of knowing uh, whether he's uh really just a an an old guy that's you know going off to off the deep end or whether he's really a extremely clever and uh devious person that's uh much uh, much uh, smarter than he looks and and frankly it doesn't make a lot of difference to me to answer that to answer that particular question the answer I mean the the answer or the uh, question that really is significant to me is how do we what are we going to do uh to overcome this and of course everybody says the answer is that we vote republican in the next election and my concern about that is if the uh the feds have not um they've not overlooked that possibility and so they're trying to take over nationalize the uh election process which, if if they if they get that done, I think this game is over. So I don't. Uh, yeah,
2: I don't I, know
5: how we fight I, that I, exactly. Yeah.
2: I I think that waiting until 2022, uh, Dr. Larry is, um, is is being way too passive, you know, with with respect to addressing this issue because. You're right. Uh, you know, by by 2022, um, just look again at what he's done in the in the eight months that he's that he's had. And and there's, uh, you know, nowhere in sight that there's any kind of a stop sign that's slowing them down. I, I think I think really the key is, is, is that we we've got to turn to our uh, local state legislatures to. Our, our local governors, uh, we've got to look to our, to our city councils, to our, to our local school boards. You know, we, we've got to start taking things back on a local level, and, and that has to happen now. That has to happen immediately right now. Um, we, need, we need God-fearing, God-loving patriots to get involved right now. And I think the other side to this that, that we truly cannot overlook is the recognition that, that you know, as you mentioned in, in your monologue, this is evil. We're, we're dealing with evil. And the only one that I know who has overcome evil is, is our Father in heaven through Jesus Christ, his Son he overcame evil and i think that we've got to get america turned back and and reeducate america on the on the values that made this nation great to begin with
5: so how do we do that
2: well i it, it's 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 going to fall to you know, ministers that are willing to actually speak the truth, the truth about what Scripture has to say and what the Bible has to say uh, about nations that honor him and what happens to nations that don't. And yeah. uh, and, and so I, I think, you know, what we're dealing with is, is we're dealing with a lot of issues that have to do with the soul of man and and the evil intent and and I think the only way that you fix that is is that you you have to you have to address that wicked that wicked heart
5: well it, you know I was listening to um one of the <clears throat> one of the um um uh, I guess it was a Navy SEAL uh, who was uh, talking about the uh, current uh, general officers of the uh, of the American uh, uh, armed services, and he was saying he was talking about one um, one lieutenant colonel who had made a tape saying that if we don't, if we as a um, Military, uh, as the, mili- the military arm of the United States government, do not, in fact, uh, follow our our, our constitutional uh, require, uh, responsibility to uphold to uh, defend the United States against its all its uh, enemies, both uh, foreign and, and domestic. That uh, we simply do not um, have the have the, op- we we just don't have the opportunity to, to, uh, uh, to, uh, uh, make our, keep ourselves, uh, free and, 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 uh, and uphold the honor of the United States of America. And, uh, the guy that did that got, got, um, uh, transferred, uh, immediately yep. and, um, and before <clears throat> 24 hours, he was invited to resign or uh, or face a court martial. Um, and it, it occurs to me that we have the same kind of a problem in religion. Um, we we just don't have people that are uh, willing to stand up and uh, fight for the for the rights of of Uh, of religious, not only religious freedom, but religious uh, values. And um, you're listening to the uh, Resistance Hour on the uh, Bachelor News Radio Network.
2: I think the issue uh, that you're referring to there, Dr. Larry, and and that's part of the reason that that we're in the mess that we're in. You know, for a very long time, conservatives have shelved what they call social values and they have only embraced the the fiscal and and quote unquote economic fiscal issues but the reason that you steal the reason that you buy the reason that you spend more than you take in and then try to steal from somewhere and that's really what what is happening when you have a government that is spending more money than it's bringing in they are stealing from somewhere in this instance they're stealing from generations to come by building an unattainable debt but when you have those kinds of things that are going on they fall back to a lack of morality and a lack of understanding what moral virtue is. When when we entered into World War Two to fight the Axis of Germany, Italy, and Japan, we were fighting against a very real evil, and we understood that the dictator Mussolini uh, in in Italy was a was a very cruel individual in Japan, the same issue existed. And we know what Hitler did in rounding up the Jewish people and the Holocaust, but it wasn't just Jews. It was also Christians. And by the way, they were doing the same thing in Japan and there was persecution that was happening in Italy. So you had evil going on and America entered into that war predicated on a moral imperative to bring peace to the world and and to save the lives of, of innocents.
5: Yeah, but we immediately uh, compromised by accepting the Soviet Union, which was uh, just as bad as, uh, in fact, maybe worse than uh, the uh, enemies that we had as our ally. So, you know, we had compromises even then.
2: When we sat down with Stalin, and and yeah. the root of that, of course, is understanding also who FDR was and what his leanings were towards socialism and, and his ties to communism. So I, I agree with you. and And again, you can find this Reach in in understanding where our nation started from, and and the destruction of its biblical foundation and biblical values, going all the way back to the early 1900s.
5: Well, I I I'm taking I'm I'm sort of. Lean toward a, a slightly different um, approach to this uh problem and um it is it is this I'll use as an example the uh labor movement um it, if it feels my my assessment of of, uh, of one of the things that's going on in America right now is that <clears throat> we have to have a um, a reform, if you will, a re renaissance in a way or or actually an evolution maybe is a better word, of capitalism. Capitalism has been uh really in, in generally uh one of the most benevolent uh movements that has ever happened in the human race, but it's also had tremendous uh problems of moral and and uh as well as physical and and uh, mechanical and uh strategic but uh it has evolved largely because in our country because we've had enough freedom to be able to uh, make the uh, adjust make, to to uh fight against the injustices and and try to even at the cost and in the early, uh, late uh, 19th century and the early 20th century at the cost of blood in uh, in the Miners' Revolt and, uh, in Colorado and some of the other events, uh, particularly in West Virginia. Um, and But we came through all of that, and by the 1960s, labor had won. That is to say, all of the things that they had asked for and fought for and died, in some cases died for, up until that time, uh, uh, assured uh, uh, safety in the shop, uh, 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 medical, uh, medical insurance and retirement and uh, uh, collective bargaining, uh, the right in law, and, and, uh, and so on. And, and from that point, Instead of continuing the uh, fight to uh, attack what I consider the, the another imbalance of of uh, capitalism, and that is the distribution of profits, not not necessarily of uh, ownership, but at least of profits, um, because there's nothing that says that uh, Friedman was right when he said that the uh, uh, the uh, purpose of a, of a business is the uh, uh, enrichment of the uh, shareholders. Um, that, that is a very monolithic view, I think, of capitalism. And I think that the real, the much more moral view is that there ought to be a, a share of profitability for, uh, on the basis of contribution of effort, and it goes all the way down to the office boy, and that means some kind of, some kind of revenue sharing, and some profit sharing—not not necessarily revenue sharing, but profit sharing. And we, you know, I could go on and on about that. But my point is that what happened was that the uh, head of the uh, head of labor, instead of pursuing their mission. Which was more and more uh, uh, equitable uh, treatment of their their membership, they turned to becoming uh, uh, they turned to government and they turned to becoming a uh, major factor in the uh, election of all of the elected uh, elected uh, uh, officials in the United States government. Right from the beginning of Right down to the to the precinct level, and uh, and they then the uh, they became the uh, heads of labor unions, uh, whereas uh, making living the same kind of lifestyle as as the presidents of the corporations, and they stopped. In other words, they stopped uh, you know, with the. Uh, gains of the 1960s they stopped in, and changed their, their goals and they changed their, uh, their uh, effect of uh, uh, instead of trying to keep on re- revising and, re- and evolving capitalism they, ch- they turned to become uh, to try to take over the government uh, much as they did in, in England and other workplaces my, and I think that the similar thing has happened with the, uh, with the Amer- American clergy. I think that they got their, their – Amer- the, the idea of freedom of religion uh, as, as, as distinct from uh, the establishment of religion as it had been in Europe, where you had either the Catholic or then later the uh, Protestant official religion. And anything else was not tolerated. And the idea of freedom of religion was a goal that uh, became very, uh, very real and it became part of the uh, constitutional uh, constitution of the United States, and so on. And the the opposite of that really was the revival, the various revival, evangelical revival movements. That occurred in the United States over the period, uh, particularly in the uh, late 17th, I mean the late 18th, 19th century. But nothing. But once, once, and then the Catholics had their problems uh, because they uh, they had a lot of ethnic uh, prejudice that came that they had to overcome. But by the 1960s, especially with the uh, election of a Catholic president. Uh, A lot of most of those goals, and most of the uh, the things, the aspects of American life or religious life that had been uh, uh, tried, that people have tried to achieve, were actually had been were achieved. the The freedom of religion, the there was certain amount of um, uh, social acceptance of Multiple uh, different religions, and I think that uh, the clergy went to sleep, and, and they're, they're, they were talking about the mysteries of uh, the uh, Christian religion uh, in the same, in the same language and the same pictures that uh, Saint Augustine did in the in the, in the fifth century. Um, it just uh, and the I, sp- I could speak to the catholic side the, the uh the uh if if you go and look at what the seminarians were were uh learning in the seminary before they became priests in moral theology they were they were they were being taught what uh, what was what was uh developed in the 18th century and i think that i think we've had uh, uh an amazingly uh Unimaginative and and lazy uh, evolution, lack of evolution of the way that we understand and talk about and think about uh, the religion, the religious values that that we were given as uh, as our patrimony. And I know you've started to have some um, some new ideas as to how that ought to happen, but. I think it has. I think that the idea, of uh, or the, the fact of the uh, the uh, reduction of the pop, the popular acceptance and practice of uh, religious uh, activities in both in terms of worship and and in terms of uh, non uh, you know church membership. That these have not um, the, the, the fact that that's fallen off to such a great extent is really partly the responsibility of the very people that ought to have been ought to have been fighting and, and rethinking all of that. And so uh, you, uh, now we have to take a quick break and and uh, and now I'll give you a chance to have your your ten minutes in the forum. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> this, uh, this is. Uh, the resistance uh, hour was uh, on the bachelor news radio network so we're we're talking to uh to pastor Greg Young who is among other things one of the great uh, uh popularizers of uh, uh of the of the uh, Christian religion as well as American uh values and how they all fit together and now he's he's going to tell you what he thinks about what I just said, which is probably uh ninety percent uh at, at, at some at some uh, dis dissent. so it's your shot
2: <laughs> wow well <laughs> that you 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 touched on a on a lot of things certainly capitalism without morality is uh is is going to is is going to fail because man by nature ha, has an issue with with greed and selfishness. So that that is a is is a, a large part of you know again the the sin condition that man is made up with. I won't argue with you when it comes to the responsibility or the role of of pastors. And and the condition that we find ourselves in today, um, I guess I would take a a, a a little bit of a different approach relative to looking at the 1960s and saying that at that point the freedom of religion had had arrived. I I would suggest that that the 1960s actually were the beginning of uh, of, of the culmination of the decline of freedom of religion. You had two major United States Supreme Court cases, one that removed the Bible from public school and the other one that removed prayer from the public school uh, and and from the public sphere. And so I, I think that both of those are, are evidences that, that our nation was, in fact, headed in a in a different direction relative to religious freedoms what our founders i believe identified and and one of the things you've got to look back to the mayflower compact the mayflower compact at at its very beginning says that we are here for the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ our founding fathers while many want to lay claims that they, are, that they are simply deists and theists, every single one of them had a greater understanding of the Bible than I would say 90% of Americans that are alive today. Uh, they had a better understanding of it and a, and a memorization of it. And the structures that were used to create our country – the three branches of government, the, uh, the, the, the concepts of the legislative branch, the representation and the way that that was done, the limits on executive power, uh, the limits on judicial power. I mean, all of those find their roots in understanding the Old Testament and how God laid things out for Israel. And our founders used a lot of that to put these pieces together. But above all else, John Adams said that our Constitution is fit only for a moral people. And I would suggest that it is the lack of morality, and it's something that the communists understood. If you look at uh, the 45 goals of the communists that was entered into the congressional record in 19. 63, within that framework, there are a number of those that specifically address attacking America's Christian belief system and bringing in sexual promiscuity, uh, causing questions about the Bible and, and about the validity of the Bible and the validity of Scripture questions about our founders and who they were and what their real history was, discrediting them, uh, using issues like race to try to create division and and to try to divide, remember that our founders wrote that, that the purpose of it was to create a more perfect union, not to profess or proclaim that they had and were creating the perfect union. But there was a framework that was put in place to work to move us forward, uh, and was. and well, sure, a a a a form of that. I mean, it, yes, it's either it, a form of 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 bringing us closer and closer to you know equality for all men, which was. Part of our Declaration of Independence, and something that our founders did, in fact, believe in. Um, contrary, again, to a lot of the uh, what I believe is misinformation of the of the education from the left, we were a nation that was striving to abolish slavery. There was a lot of writings by a good majority of our founders that was against the practice of slavery. And we have to remember that slavery was here in America hundreds of years before the United States of America began. And of all of the slave trade that took place, only 4% of it actually found its way to North America. And today, slavery still exists in Africa, and it's being brought about by by the Muslims, who are enslaving Africans, uh, that that is where the most slavery in our in our world exists today. But that's only one element. I mean, that is that is only one one part or one piece of the puzzle. Again, to what you were saying about responsibilities of of the clergy. At our founding, 52 of the 56 signers were all graduates of seminaries. So they all had a very strong biblical outlook and biblical worldview in understanding what America needed to look like as a Christian nation. And we maintained that probably for about 110 years Roughly. But, and let's not forget how many died in the civil war. Again, fighting for equality for every single American. Now, again, was, was the end of the civil war, the, the end of that struggle? No, I don't believe that it was at all, but I believe that as a country overall, we have been headed in a very positive direction, but the last 50 years has seen a huge erosion to that. And I think that that is something that falls upon the seminaries. In the 1960s, I think the seminaries were overrun by a very strong communist uh, influence. You had a number of, of young men that went and fought in Vietnam, and those that received the ability to be able to stay behind were given exemptions based on either religion or education, or they were from very wealthy families. In either case, the seminaries, Dr. Larry, were taken over by communists whose whose purpose was to pervert the message of the seminary and, and they have done a very good job of that. And it's the reason why today roughly 65% of the mainline denominations that are out there don't preach a gospel that is, that is anything like what the original gospel message is. The purpose of the gospel message is number one, to recognize the fact that the human condition is sinful and that the only thing that's going to change that sinful condition is a recognition of it, a repentance and and seeking Jesus Christ as Lord and the Savior, but salvation isn't the end all salvation is the beginning Jesus pronounced in all of the Gospels, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Not that he was going to be bringing it somewhere down the road, but that it actually arrived with him. He ushered it in. And his message was, I'm going to show you how you can be a part of this kingdom. Right here, right now.
5: How do you square that with And
2: America as go ahead.
5: But how do you square that that interpretation with uh with the uh existence of other non Christian religion in in the American population?
2: Why do I need to square that with their existence?
5: Well, because they don't accept the idea that that salvation came with Jesus Christ, and that that they have to, uh, and that the, the only path to repudiating evil has to do with that acceptance, and, and, and in other words, the centrality of of uh, Jesus Christ to uh, to the salvation of the human race. Um, uh uh-huh.
2: And so, and so, hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. If, if, if no, no, no. Okay. But, but, but because because they don't believe that doesn't change its truth.
5: Well, I know, but.
2: <coughs> do, you, do you understand? I mean, you know, because someone doesn't believe something or want to believe something, do you know that there are a number of people right now today in the United States that don't believe the Holocaust ever happened? Yeah. Does the fact that they don't believe it mean that it didn't happen? It's not different. It's the same thing because it's history. So, does the fact that they don't believe it mean that it didn't happen?
5: No, but that's—it's a bit different because if if we uh, if we accept the centrality of Jesus to the the uh, I, I guess the, the the future, the happiness, the uh, salvation of, of of all human beings then mm-hmm. it it appears that we would want to uh invite everybody that doesn't have that uh understanding to uh to join us and
2: and who they said they're not say, invited
5: they might say we don't want to be do that we want to go let's take christmas for example you've got uh that started out to be a very christian holiday and, and others that did not accept it as uh, uh, the uh, birth of Christ, so they changed the uh, the under, the definition of it to be uh, a secular meaning with Santa Claus and all that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And so we and we have to live with that in our in America. Uh, we don't, we don't, uh, we don't outlaw their, their, uh, secular approach to it. Uh, we just, we, we, we live with it. And of course it's gotten to be more and more significant as the years have gone by. Uh, I say because we haven't been doing our business <laughs> properly, but, uh, anyway, I, somehow or other we've got to we've got a plurality of religious uh, of interpretations of what constitutes a uh, a valid religion among different people and what what the christians want to do is it's fine for them but they're not they can't we we can't enforce it we've got to uh We've got to make accommodations for the other people. Um,
2: all right, so so let's let's back up for not, a minute because because when when I say when I say that man has a sin condition that that is is fixed by a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, what what you're giving me back is yeah. an interpretation that's Islamic or Hindu or Sikh. And, and why do I say that? Well, because yeah, I, I do a know, lot of ministry in you bet, because I do a lot of ministry in India where my pastors are murdered by Hindus, by Sikhs, and by Muslims for professing Christianity. I do a lot of work with Save the Persecuted Christians. 350 million Christians are threatened and persecuted every single day. Every day. There is nowhere in the world where Christians in the name of Christianity are running around beheading people. It's not happening. The reason that our founders chose Christianity over all other beliefs is because in Christianity the closer that you come to Christ the more you reflect the love of God. And what does that mean? That means that whether someone living next door to me is Hindu, Sikh, uh, Muslim, or non-religious at all, I see them as God's creation, as someone who has value. To God, therefore, value to me, and I want to try to love them to Christ. In a Muslim world, and in in Islamic nations, look what we're what we're seeing right now with the Taliban and the Taliban. and and. If if someone questions that, I I would encourage them to go to my website and read the writings of Arasuli, who's been studying Islam for 30 years, has memorized the Quran and the Hadith, and writes out in his articles, using their words, why you can't be anything but Islamic in that country. Well, so Christianity was chosen by our founders to your to your statement, Dr. Larry, because it, we don't run around threatening people. What we are saying is is that if you love your neighbor like I'm loving my neighbor, then we are all going to have a more peaceful nation.
5: So I want to thank you for (laughs) uh, thank you for uh, for uh, this uh, conversation. We have to pick this up some other time. But uh, yes, sir. uh, Thank you, and uh, and uh, this is uh, the resistance hour saying, God bless America, and uh, whoever, whatever God it is, we we uh, adore you. God bless America.
2: Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot.
3: Someday, I
2: will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com.
3: Welcome to the family.
4: VDW Group, no purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket?
5: Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count.